Okay. I love the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you would, go ahead and open to Proverbs 1. And as you're turning there, I often uh, say this phrase to the men who I work with at uh, ReCenter, and that is, if there's one book of the Bible that I believe has shaped how I, how I think, how I act, um, it, it's the book of Proverbs. When I was uh, in high school, I had a soccer coach who, for whatever reason, as we were running, uh, would start quoting Proverbs 6 to us, and he would tell us to consider the ant, you sluggards. <laughs> and, and, and well, he, he was a great, great coach, but um, from that relationship, I, I learned to have a deep love for the book of Proverbs. And, and he taught me, and, and I've told so many folks that I've met with that the Proverbs have shaped me so much because when you read them slowly, day after day after day, you don't have to take in a ton, maybe one verse, maybe a chapter, however it is, it will change the way you think about the world. And I, I genuinely believe that. I think that the book of Proverbs has done that for me. And I hope tonight that by the end of this, I can share this love for this book with you all. So with that, um, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 is going to be, and should be in the back of our minds throughout this entire sermon. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to give us a, a simple sentence to help us understand what not just this section of Proverbs, but really the entire book is. So Proverbs 1 one through seven, it reads this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, with, with the key to understanding what all of it is about. And we, we need to remember this section. In fact, we need to remember, if I, if I had time, we would read the first nine chapters of Proverbs so we could really understand what the rest of the book is about. But I'll talk about that in a moment. This is a summary, maybe, of, of if you had to answer the question, what, what is the book of Proverbs? Well, that's a complicated answer, but this is something you, you might say. You could say the book of Proverbs is a book of instructional poetry leading us to wisdom and away from folly. This wisdom originates in a righteous life that is rooted in our covenant relationship with God? It's a big answer to that question. What is the book of Proverbs? So I'm going to read it one more time. Uh, and, and this is important. And those are going to be our points as we summarize this book. It's, the book of Proverbs is instructional poetry. It leads us to wisdom and away from folly. This wisdom originates in a righteous life that is rooted in our covenant relationship with God. So, so the book, if you were to open your Bible and start looking at the book itself, if, if you're going to try to understand this book and how can I read the book of Proverbs and, and get the big picture or really just not even the big picture, how can I get the, the, the small images that it lays out page after page after page? I would say this, 
divided up in two ways. Chapters one through nine act as this, this key, this lens of understanding. They are short lectures uh, that act as a guide to understanding the follow 22 chapters. And so these, these lectures are often, almost all of them, are from the vantage point of a father to his son. So I read uh, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and we kind of get this introduction. But as soon as you get to verse 8 of chapter 1, listen to the first words. It's a father speaking to a son. It says, my son, hear your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. You see, it, it goes on for nine chapters like this, a father pleading with his son to listen, listen to me. And as he explains these short little lectures, these, each chapter that is, it, it's going to become a guide for us to understand what happens in chapters 10 through 31. When we all think of the Proverbs, we often don't think of these lectures here at the beginning. We often think of Proverbs 10 through 31, where, where you get these really nice one-liners that you can you, you say, and they're really, really good, and you can chew on it all day and get more truth out of it as you go. Like, for example, Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And that in of itself is really rich and great. But it's, it, as we read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, and I'll explain this as we go on, we, we see that those nine chapters are fundamental in us understanding the following 22 chapters. So to break it down, remember that division in your head. When you're trying to think about this book, remember it's divided up in two ways, chapters one through nine and chapters 10 through 31. And so after those nine chapters, the chapters 10 through 31 acts as really, really practical guides and specific ways that we can follow the call of wisdom and we can, we can avoid foolishness or folly. And so back here to my main sentence, and these are gonna be, I guess my first main point here is this. The book of Proverbs is instructional poetry. As you look in your, your Bibles, it's pretty clear. You can turn to any page and you see this poetic style. It looks as if it, the same way that it's written in the Psalms, right? My Bible has little shorter paragraphs, that's because it's poetry. This, in Hebrew, would have been poetic. Um, it, it wouldn't have been poetry the same way that we think of poetry, um, but, but it was, and it would be more helpful for folks to, to learn it, to memorize it, to be passed down. So I have three ways that it is instructional and that it should be learned, and we're gonna look here to the scriptures for this. The first is this. It is intended to be learned. Um, the Proverbs are not just one-liners meant to impress us, and we should not read them quickly and be impressed with the sage or the writer who, who wrote this and thought so clearly about the world, but instead they are intended for us to internalize them. They're intentionally written to be short and make us think deeply about the world. We should dwell on it, memorize it, and ultimately we should learn from it. They are intended to shape our thinking about the world and specifically this is really important, specifically how we love God and how we love our neighbor. They, these are insights for us to understand how do we love God and how do we love our neighbor. So for some examples, Proverbs 1 verse 2, it says this, to know wisdom and instruction 
and understand words of insight. This, the words know and understand imply that we should, we should learn it. We, we, we should learn these words. Even just a couple verses down, one verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. These, again, he, he's being very literal here. The writer wants us to, to learn these words. Chapter three, verses one and two say, again, a father to a son. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of your day, uh, for the length of days and years of your life and peace, they will be added to you. So again, he's telling, uh, the father's telling the son, do not forget this, learn it. So this is the first aspect of the Proverbs being uh, instructional poetry. One is that they are to be learned. It is intended to be learned. Two, even from these same verses and more, we can see that it is not meant to be learned on our own necessarily. There is a clear intended path by which one should learn this. And that is uh, to be passed down from generation to generation, from family to family, from father to son, from mother to daughter. Solomon intended his wisdom to be passed down through generation by the mouths of faithful, godly parents. Every even as we read the Proverbs, and, and you may remember a famous proverb, eight, Proverbs chapter nine, where wisdom is personified and wisdom itself is speaking. Even in those famous passages, at the end of wisdom's call, maybe in, in, in Proverbs chapter, excuse me, in Proverbs uh, chapter eight and nine. At the end of this, it's concluded by the father referring back to the son. So this is, this is what I mean by this. In, um, in eight, wisdom has, Proverbs eight thirty one. wisdom finishes speaking and calling out to the children of man to turn and listen. And the father kind of interrupts uh, in chapter eight as, a, as an editor here, you could say, and says, now, sons, listen to me. And so he's concluding here. He's helping round out this part. That all of this is first to understand that we should be very intentionally taking these words, the Proverbs, and the whole truth of God and teaching it to our children. We as a church, we as parents have a huge responsibility to teach the wisdom of God to the next generation. It is intended to be, to be passed down. It's all over the place in Proverbs, but some examples. Um, Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. I read that earlier. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 20 says, My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Again, it refers to both the father and mother there. Proverbs 8.32 says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Proverbs 10.1 says the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Even as you begin chapter 10, which begins that new section of Proverbs where we've, we've left the instructional lens of chapter one through nine, the very, very, very first line of part two you could think of of the Proverbs is just that. It is a father passing to his son and even giving the, the, the wisdom that it is to, to receive his instruction. A, a son will be wise if he receives it from his father, but the son will be foolish if he rejects it. This is not only true in the Proverbs, but all over the Bible. 
Um, I'm going to have us flip a couple of places. Most famously, of course, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Again, we are looking how the Bible is teaching us that the word of the Lord, the Proverbs, the wisdom of God should be passed down from generation to generation through our families. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here, that's in, that's in Deuteronomy. That's the, a, a famous passage that we know that we shall teach our children diligently the word of the Lord. Again, it's not only there, but also in the book before, the Psalms, Psalm 145, verses 10 and 12, say this. Psalm 145, verse 10 through 12. All the works shall give, excuse me, all the works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. The, all the saints should bless the Lord. The works of the Lord, we should speak to the children of man of the Lord's mighty deeds. We are to be speaking to the next generation. And again, in Ephesians 6, verse 4. says this. This is a famous line too. You probably know this. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this, this instructional poetry is intended to be learned. And the second point here is that it is intended to be passed down. But it is not only that we don't just find that here in the Proverbs. We see that all over scripture, right? It's our responsibility as parents, as a church, to ensure that the word of God is taught to the next generation. Teaching the Proverbs not only teaches practical wisdom for life, but it, it teaches our children of the infinite wisdom of might, the might and the sovereignty of our God. And finally, I have a third aspect of how this is instructional poetry, and that is this. It refines and gives specific clarity on how to keep the law of God in day-to-day -day life. So, very quickly here, when the whole law, we, we've seen this in the New Testament, the whole law can be summarized by loving God or, and, excuse me, loving our neighbor. This idea of loving God and loving neighbor is refined again in the law of Moses, initially in the law of Moses, and that is the Ten Commandments. So, when we think of how do I love God? Moses tells us in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, right? And when we think of how do I love my neighbor, we think you shall not murder. Moses refines that. Well, the Proverbs provide even more clarity on how to love God and your neighbor. There are countless, literally open a page of the Proverbs and see, just read any page of them and you'll see countless examples on how 
the sages, how Solomon, how the other writers of the Proverbs are teaching us how do I love God specifically in this very minute aspect of life. It helps us bring clarity to this, as, this abstract thought of how do I love God and how do I love my neighbor? Let me give you, there, again, there's countless examples, but let me give you one. One example about how the Proverbs refine and bring more clarity to this. Proverbs 25, 21 reads this. If your enemy is hungry, so this is a way we might love our neighbor. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. When we, when we think of this, how do I love someone who is my neighbor? Well, one, we've already learned that who is my neighbor, even, even our enemies are, are our neighbors. And two, a way to love them is to provide by giving food to them, by bringing him water to drink. So the three ways that it is instructional poetry is that one, it's intended to be learned. We as a people should learn it ourselves. We should internalize it. it two, it should be passed down. We should be giving this and continuing this tradition to our children. And three, it, it, it clarifies how to keep the law of God, how to love God and to love our neighbor. My second point is this. The Proverbs lead to wisdom and away from folly. There's a really big question we have to ask when we come here, of course. And that is, what, what is wisdom? That, that question must be asked if we're going to understand the book of Proverbs. And I will say a lot more on this in my final point, but it, we need to say this now, that for us to have wisdom, we need to remember Proverbs 1 verse 7. It's repeated again at the end of this section in Proverbs 9, but it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we have any foundation for which to understand this book, it must begin with the fear of the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak more on that in my final point, but just know that this is, this is like the alphabet, what the alphabet is to the English language. We cannot understand the Proverbs. We cannot understand anything about it at all if we do not have, if we have not obtained this fear of the Lord. It is the prerequisite for any understanding of life. And once it's obtained, the door to wisdom is open to us and we can begin to avoid folly. So let's, let's speak here on what, what, what is this wisdom? And, and then we'll talk about what is folly. So the Proverbs lead us to wisdom. I, I'm gonna break this down in three ways. Like, what is it? What is wisdom? How does it play out in our lives? And then what is the result of wisdom? And then I'm gonna turn around and we're gonna do the same thing for folly. Okay, so what is wisdom? Essentially, wisdom is, in the Proverbs is understanding how life works. It's pretty simple for us to, to process there. Wisdom in the Proverbs is, is understanding how life works and what it's based on. There's two commentators, uh, Walt, I can't pronounce his name very well, Walt something and De Silva, and they give this definition. They say, wisdom mainly denotes the skill to navigate through the maze of life so that one conducts one's life to the greatest benefit of oneself and to the community. 
It is the way of eternal life. So all of that is true. It is conducting yourself in a way that will result in your own greatest benefit as well as the benefit of the community around you. And it is the way of eternal life. We see a lot of connections to wisdom in the Proverbs. Even just look right here in these first seven verses that I had us read at the beginning. There's several, right? To know wisdom and instruction, that's one. It tells us prudence, knowledge, discretion. We see all those in verse four. We see learning and understanding in five. All of these words accompany wisdom, yet they are not wisdom itself. It's really important to remember that wisdom, as I said earlier, in, in this book is always, always, always connected to, in fact, flowing from a person who fears the Lord, a person who knows God. Wisdom and Proverbs always have this moral, this, this connection of, yeah, this moral connection to God. Meaning a person can be knowledgeable, a person can, be, can give instruction or have understanding, a person can be prudent, they can have discretion and not be wise. We know a lot of people like this in our life. People who seem to be able to make really, really good choices and yet, that does not mean, according to the Proverbs, that they are wise. Other words that we might use, this person might be knowledgeable. They might be crafty or shrewd. In fact, throughout this Bible, Satan himself is described with many of these words, that he is knowledgeable. Yes, he, he has an understanding of how life works, yet he's crafty, he's shrewd. Satan is not wise. So how does this play out in life? As you read the Proverbs, you see that it plays out as you finally get to chapter 10 and you're, you're flipping through and maybe you're reading one chapter each day or maybe you're just reading a verse that day. It, you, will find, you will be hard-pressed to find a verse or a section of verses that, have, that does not deal with your interactions with another person, period. They all have to do with how we interact with other people, or how we interact with God, often both. We are interacting with the person and that represents and shows how we have been or how we interact with God. So it plays out in life through our lives, through our choices, our commitments, our beliefs. All of this plays out through a wise person. Through wisdom, a person is able to read various situations and circumstances. They're able to interpret Facts. They're able to act and speak and respond appropriately to no matter what the situation may arise. Again, uh, as, as all of this is, that way in which one acts, it is towards their ultimate benefit, his own benefit, and to the benefit of all around them. And it is to the benefit of his own eternal life. So again, if you, if you were just to look at, at Proverbs chapter 10, it's hard to, uh, to read a verse that doesn't interact with another person. For example, uh, Proverbs 10 verse 20 says, the tongue of a righteous is choice silver and the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of sense. We see here that when a righteous person, when a wise person speaks, it's like, it's like giving out silver and it's, 
the, the lips of a righteous feed many. It builds people up. It, it fills them up. So it plays out in all that you do, the choices that you make, the decisions that you make, the words that you say, the commitments that you make. That's how it plays out. And ultimately, how does it, how does it result then? So where, where does this wisdom, what does this wisdom result in? The Proverbs are really, really clear about this. Even these words uh, that, that we just read, I think, hint at it. And that's this, wisdom results in life and abundance. While the book of Proverbs doesn't have a very clear Christian understanding of the resurrection, meaning this is ancient Jews who may have been reading this, and this was written by an ancient Jew who did not know full clarity of who Jesus is and who Jesus would be and, and the work that he will do. And so Solomon and the sages who've written this don't have a full understanding of what the resurrection is, but it clearly teaches that those who are righteous, the wise person will gain immortality with God and live with God forever. Let me just point you to some examples here. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28 says this. In the path of righteousness is life and in the path, and in the pathway, there is no death. There's no death in the path of a righteous person. If you just turn a page, probably, Proverbs 14, verse 32. And these are just select. It's all over the Proverbs shelf. Proverbs 14, 32 says this. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in death. And then Proverbs 10 Headed backwards, sorry. Proverbs 10, 16 says, the wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. So the, the writers of the Proverbs, while they don't have a full understanding of the resurrection as a Christian does today, they have an understanding that those who are wise and righteous, those people will live with God forever. Life here in the Proverbs is a relationship with God. And wisdom is primarily concerned with maintaining this relationship. It is the greatest benefit of wisdom. So that's part one. It is leading to wisdom. And part two here, away from folly. So we need to answer the same questions. What is folly? How does it play out in life? And what are its results? Well, uh, folly is it's not exactly the opposite not exactly the opposite of wisdom, but it's really, really close. And I'll just say this, folly is found in, in any who attempt to experience life without the fear of the Lord. So it is anyone who, or the foolish person, folly, foolishness, is any attempt to experience life without the fear of the Lord. And this, this includes all who seek to navigate life on their own, who seek to navigate life by the fear of some false god. So the fool, the, the, uh, the commentators I mentioned earlier say this, the fool in the Proverbs is one who is uncommitted to the teachings of the sage, the sages or Solomon here in Proverbs. This is most clearly said, I think I can point this out most clearly in Proverbs 3. If I'll flip there, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path and, and he will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So we see that there when it says, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's it's a warning against folly, against foolishness, against seeking after a life that is not pursuing the fear of the Lord, that is not founded in the fear of the Lord. So what is folly? It's just that any attempt to experience life without the fear of the Lord. So how does it play out? In the exact same way that wisdom plays out. It plays out in our, our affections, the things that we love. It plays out in our, the things that we say, the things that we're committed to, our decisions, right? And we see this in people then who refuse to submit themselves to the sages' teachings, to refuse to submit themselves to wisdom. These types of people often seek to make a name for themselves instead of make a name for, to, to make the name of the Lord great. They, they still can have knowledge. They can still have understanding. They can still have uh, all the things I mentioned earlier, prudence, instruction, discretion. They can have all that. In fact, like I said earlier, Satan has all that, but it is not wise. There's some several realities that I've summed up here uh, through Proverbs 10 through 31. This is kind of a culmination of a fool that you find in Proverbs. They, they're always sure of themselves. They never doubt their motives. They have no desire for correction or education. They have a disregard for morality and moral truth. They relentlessly, they always talk about their own foolishness. They, they like to share their foolishness. They're quick to anger. They're wasteful, both with money and time and energy. And finally, fools are obvious to everyone but themselves. These are summarized. Uh, this is a summary list of what you'll find as you read Proverbs 10 through 31. So how does it play out? It plays out in the things that we love. It plays out in the things that we we choose the things that we say and do. And finally, so what are the results of foolishness, of folly? Proverbs 9, our call to worship today, gives us this uh, pretty clearly. Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read. Excuse me. I'm actually going to read the end of the proverb here. Proverbs 9, 13. Here we go. 13 through um, the end here says this. 13 through 18 is actually, I'm not going to go all the way to the end. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Folly leads to one thing and you cannot miss it. It's everywhere in the book. It leads to death. If you forsake wisdom, if you forsake the teachings that are passed down through this book, it ends in death. But as I said, this wisdom isn't just knowledge, isn't just understanding, it's 
something more. And it comes from a relationship. This wisdom is rooted, this is my final point, in our covenant relationship with God. So when you, when you and I read the Proverbs, the, the God himself is mentioned 100 out of 915 verses. There's 915 verses here. God is mentioned 100 of those. That's like, it's over 10%. God's covenant name with his people, Yahweh, is 87 out of those 100 times. That's a really big deal. And and what we should take from that is that because this covenant name, Yahweh, is used not just at the beginning, not just these first nine chapters that I focused a lot on, but everywhere, every chapter, is this, that that it is not the fear of any God. It is the fear of of Yahweh. It is the fear of this covenant relationship God, the one true God that leads to wisdom. You can't have a fear of Allah and find wisdom. You can only have a fear of the one true God, the great I am. And being bound to him and his covenant relationship is is what gives the people who are reading the Proverbs any hope of having wisdom, any hope of having life. So I'm not going to read all these verses because again, it's, it's listed 87 times. However, just look at the one verse seven again. We've already read it. It says the fear of the Lord. When it says Lord in all caps, you know, all caps, that's Yahweh. It says the fear of Yahweh is beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Not the fear of any God. The fear of the one true God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. That is the fear, trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I have more listed here, uh, chapter 20, chapter 22, 25, 29, 31, like all of them, all of the chapters. The Proverbs invite us to live a righteous life, but it's impossible. We cannot live the way the Proverbs want us to. In fact, if you can go out and you can try to do it, you can try to read some of the Proverbs and set out by sheer force to live the way that it's asking you to, and you'll fail. The Proverbs are pointing us to live a life and to be wise and to make decisions in a sense that you cannot do on your own. You must have a righteousness of a God who's in a covenant relationship with us that originates, that righteousness has to originate outside of ourselves. For the ancient Jew, this was the covenant relationship with Yahweh in out of a love for God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, he read, he knew the law of God, and he, set to kept, and he set to keep the law of God. But for Christians today, for you and I, we have something much, much greater. The entire Bible points to the fact that Jesus Christ is greater than Solomon, that Jesus Christ is all the wisdom of God in human form. I have several passages here. I'm going to read them uh, to us. So we can see that our, this fear of the Lord that we must have, if we have any hope to understand the book of Proverbs here, must originate, must start in Jesus. So I'm going to start with the prophets. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5 say this. You can turn back later and read it. It says, There shall come forth from, the shoot, from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, 
the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with, his, with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wisdom of Solomon takes us so far. Isaiah points us that there is someone so much greater and that is Jesus, that Jesus would embody this righteousness and wisdom. That is, it doesn't stop in the prophets. We can go to the gospels. Matthew chapter 12 tells us this, that Jesus is the author of wisdom. He is far greater than Solomon. When the Pharisees come and ask Jesus to show a sign, he, he answers them. This is Matthew 12, 38 and following. It says, an evil and adulterous generation seek a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with, his gen with this generation and condemn it. For she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But behold, something greater than Solomon is here. That something greater is Christ Jesus. He is greater than Solomon. In fact, he's the author of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon had no wisdom apart from him. It doesn't stop in the gospels. It goes into the, the epistles as well. We could look at Colossians. We could look at more. I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through following. This is a large passage, but, but hear this. Jesus is foolish to the world and he is our wisdom. Colossians 1, 18 through 31 say, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christ Jesus became our wisdom. Christ Jesus is wisdom. And finally, one more, Matthew chapter seven. Josh mentioned this in his sermon this morning. Matthew seven tells us that it, the wise man, the person who was wise, is the one who responds to the gospel. It is the one who responds to the knowledge that, that we are sinners before a holy God and we need a savior. You could read the book of Proverbs 
And you could learn everything there is to learn from chapters 10 to chapters 31, and you would, might be super, super successful in life. But there's no guarantee you would be wise if you do not first have this knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and that fear is this, that we need a savior, Christ Jesus. He is our only hope in life and death. He is our only wisdom. Jesus himself is the only wise king. And so what is the good news of Proverbs? It's this. As you read this and you, you, can, you can live a practical life, you can go and, and find success, but the wisdom of the Proverbs is Jesus himself, that as we read of, of wisdom that he gave us, we might see our need for a savior, that the just the practical comings and goings and decisions and things that we say in life are not enough. But we must remember Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins and that fear of the Lord is knowing our need for a savior. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the book of Proverbs. They've changed my understanding of the world, but Lord, that's not because of just the words there. Lord, it's because of you. Lord, I pray I would never, ever, ever, ever forget that. That I, I, the practical advice, the practical invitation to wisdom and away from folly only occurs when I'm trusting in you with all my heart. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who love you more than anything, that we would have a fear of the Lord, that we would love you, Lord Jesus, more than anything. So Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the instruction it gives. Thank you for teaching us how to honor you and keep your law. Lord, this week, help us to go out and love you more because of it. In Christ's name, amen.